0: We're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. Uh, We're in chapter 4. We're going to finish chapter 4 today. Uh, If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, uh, this is our gift to you. Take it, keep it. Read it if you know someone who needs one, take it for them. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 14. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get right in it. Today we're going to look at the father heart of God, but we're going to see it expressed uh, through uh, through a few avenues. One, that being uh, spiritual fathering, what does that look like? What does that mean? Um, Also, God as father, that may be a concept for many of us uh, that you may struggle with, uh, particularly uh, if you uh, maybe didn't have a great relationship with your father. Uh, We know that more children uh, now than any time in human history, or in the history of our country especially, uh, uh, will go to sleep even tonight without a father in the picture. And so the the idea of God as a father can be foreign to many. Uh, We do know that Jesus reveals uh, to to us God as father. Uh, He even teaching us how to pray, he says we pray our father in heaven. He's not saying my father, he's not saying their father, but he's inviting us into a family. So if you know, love and trust Jesus, uh, God is your Father. God is your Father. And so for many of you, this may be a, 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 a journey you're on understanding what that means, uh, finding uh, hope and trust and, and believing that that's a good thing, that you have a Father, uh, that you have a Father and, and He is God, and, he, and that, that, that may be a new concept, and so you're, you may be rustling through that, um, and so we're going to speak to some of that today. Additionally, we're going to look at the Father's Discipline. In our world, we don't like discipline, uh, we don't like uh, to be, be, we don't like to get in trouble, uh, but we often run from discipline because we have mixed views of what discipline is. Typically, uh, if, you, or if you've had a father maybe who was uh, harsh in discipline, uh, you might resist God's discipline totally. You might feel like God doesn't love you if he is disciplining you. We're going to talk about that as well today. And So that's a lot to unpack, uh, but just in, in, a, in a few short verses, 7 to be exact, we'll, we'll read the first two right now. The first point is, uh, spiritual fathering. What is that? What does that look like? Why, why is that a point uh, that, that's being made here? Uh, he says, the Apostle Paul, to this church in Corinth, he says, uh, do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers for I have become a father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So first point, spiritual fathering. What is it? What does it look like? Uh, this, is, this is Paul's point. He's saying, I've become a spiritual father to you. Through preaching the gospel and planting this church. I mean, when he planted this church, he, he, he preached the gospel. And he, people who were not Christians became Christians and they were not a part of the family of God now have come to be a part of the family of God they went from God not being their father to being adopted into the family now God is their father and he is saying that in, through that he has become like a spiritual father to them he's not saying I'm replacing your earthly father, I'm not replacing God as father but I'm filling a, a particular role, a God ordained role of, of being a spiritual father to you he's talking to the church, so he's like I'm going to talk to you like a father, I'm going to talk to you like a dad and so in uh, some of you, you, you don't understand that because not many of you, he says, have had fathers. He's addressing even from in the first century a uh, perhaps father wound in this, uh, in this generation. And he's saying that how he has, by the grace of God, become like a father. He's not using this to demean their, their earthly fathers. He's not doing this to uh, pull rank in such a way to domineer or to abuse them. He is just simply saying uh, that this is a, a, a type of uh, uh, office, a type of space that he is filling, that God has called him to, and he, and he loves them. This is what he's saying. He loves them like a dad. He loves them deeply. He cares for them. He calls them his beloved children. That's what his point is. I, I see you as my children. I, and, and here's the reality. Paul doesn't have kids. He didn't get married. didn't have kids. We, th- we saw when we studied 1st and 2nd Timothy that Timothy uh, had become like a, a spiritual child to Paul as well. He's going to reference Timothy here in a moment. But, but Paul is a spiritual father to this, this congregation. Uh, and he, he became that not because he self-declared that, but he became that through the gospel. Uh, there was a multiplication process that happened and that uh, he shared the gospel. They got saved, and therefore, they've become spiritual children. Uh, and God is their father, but he is their spiritual father. And, and God is, is, is the father heart of God is supposed to work in and through the apostle Paul and to the, cho- to the children of God, to the church. So he's saying, I hope that God is loving you, congregation, uh, with the fatherly type love, uh, and it's going to be displayed through me. And so this is like the goal. If you're a parent, if you're a parent in here, you want God's love to flow in and through you to your kids. So your kids know the love of God through you. Additionally, your spouse should know the love of God through you. Like this is, God is loving me through the way I love my spouse. God is loving uh, 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 the, the other uh, partner or the other spouse through your love for God overflowing through them. In discipleship. In the church, when we love and care for one another, the love of God is flowing through us to one another. That's the big story of the Bible. And so I want you to think of three categories today as I talk, about, I'm gonna use this term father. I'm going to continue to use it. I'm not going to substitute it for mother. I'm not going to substitute it for parent. I'm I'm, I'm just, I need you to see that that I'm going to stick with the language here of the text, but there is application to those who are mothers to their children, uh, those who are, are, are spiritual parents to to other uh, to, to folks that they're discipling. So I want you to think in terms of if you're a father, some of this will apply to you as a dad, simply just simply a dad to your children. But also, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll apply to you as a, uh, uh, a disciple maker. If you're a mother or you're not married or you don't have kids or wherever you're at, th- there's application here in the whole concept of spiritual parenting. But I'm going to stick with the term spiritual following because that's what Paul says. He's talking to men. He's talking to women in the church. And he's saying, I become like a father to you. I become a, a, a father. And so I want to I I speak to multiple different ways that we're seeing in this text that, that what fatherhood looks like, what, what spiritual fathering can look like. And so the first thing I want us to see that uh, fathers rebuke, they don't shame. Fathers rebuke, they don't shame. He says it this way. He says, I write these things uh, to, to not to make you ashamed. I do not write these things to make you ashamed. If you were here with us last week, you saw that the, we ended. Uh, Paul had a lot to say. He had a lot to say, and he was kind of uh, uh, strong in his vernacular. Uh, He rebuked them, and and, and one might say he, he rebuked them rather harshly. And so last week that, he had a hard word for them, and so we're continuing that that same conversation that was going on, what they were doing and what was happening in this church is that they were complaining about everything. They were complaining about the apostle Paul too. They're like, uh, and so just imagine this: he's a spiritual father. They're just complaining about their dad, like every TV show you've ever seen, right? If you've ever watched, it, especially if you grew up in the '90s, early 2000s. Every TV show mocked the father. Every father was a joke. So they were taking their cues from culture, mocking fatherhood. They were mocking the Apostle Paul. They were criticizing him. Uh, they, were, they, were, they had this consumer mentality, and he was rebuking them for that. Um, it, it was likely that because of the, the progressive culture of their time, uh, that they were even maybe editing the gospel, editing what they believed, changing uh, their, their, their belief system, calling it Christians, so that they didn't experience the persecution that the apostles were experiencing. And so we find that in our day where it's easy to just change our theology just to make it fit with the culture, not with the Bible, but with the culture so that, you know, uh, our friends and our family, those who don't know, love and trust Jesus will go, you know, you're, you're an okay kind of Christian. Where Paul it went extensively last week into talking about how the apostles are getting thrown to lions getting eaten. The Romans hate them. They're getting persecuted. And you're over here, church, thinking that you're exempt from that type of thing. You don't want to be associated with what is true Christianity. We live in a world that, that, is, that is very true these days. It, we, we, Jesus, if you, if you give the, the raw, uncut you know, gospel according to Jesus, in our day and age, he would be, he would be labeled narrow-minded bigot. Just what he would be and so many christians feel like if i believe jesus then culture is going to pressure me culture is going to call me names they're going to say i'm narrow minded i'm a bigot i i i you know i i'm 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 not tolerant and they might, you know, you know, look at me poorly. Well, Paul said last week, yeah, they, they call the apostles the scum of the earth. They're a spectacle on display. Everyone's mocking them. Everyone's making fun of them. So if the culture, you know, you know starts going, hey, Christians are dumb. They're stupid. They're narrow-minded. You know, they're, they're like uh, three people back on the, you know, the evolutionary chart. Like, that, they're, like they're just, if they, they start saying those things, then just know that it's not the first time it happened. And you're in really great company because they killed Jesus too, and the apostles. And so he, Paul is, is pleading with them to see this reality about who Jesus is, what his word says, and how we must be tethered to it, even if the culture around us goes crazy. And the culture in Corinth had gone crazy. Our culture has gone crazy. And Paul is writing to rebuke, but not to shame. He's saying, I, I'm not here to shame you. And so I need you to see a a rebuke is a correction. Sometimes it comes off even harshly. And he's saying, but but he's saying, I'm not shaming you. See, what shame does, shame removes human dignity and value from the person. When you're seeking to shame someone, what you're trying to do is rob them of the dignity and value as an image bearer of God that God himself has placed upon that person. Christians, we don't shame one another. But you know who does? Satan and demons. And so when sin is real in our life, oftentimes uh, we might hear a rebuke, and Satan and demons will tell us lies, and culture will tell us lies, and we will feel shame. We'll feel guilt. And so obviously, Paul has said a strong rebuke in such a way that he knows that some of them might feel shame. So he's like, hey, just so you know, I'm writing these things not to make you ashamed, I'm going to be strong. I'm going to give you a hard word. He says, but I'm not trying to shame you. And so a father, a good father, uh, rebukes. So he doesn't, he's not passive. He's not, he's not weak in, in correction. He does indeed rebuke, but he doesn't shame. Our culture doesn't rebuke unless it's, uh, you know, party line rebuking. That's all we, that's the only rebukes we have in our culture. We do a lot of shaming though. We do a lot of shaming. A Christian leader, a, a, a Christian man or woman, you, we are not called to, to shame one another, but often there are times where we must correct. That's what a rebuke is, is a correction. Shame is removing dignity. And so he's saying um, that a good father explains this discipline process. He's going, hey, kids, church, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to shame you. Some of you are going to feel shame. That is not my intention. I love you as, you are my beloved children. I see you as, as my children. I love you so much, so far too often. When I mean, you're, you're disciplining, especially if you're a, a parent disciplining your children, your kids don't get it at the moment. They're not feeling loved when you're not letting them, you know, have another candy, piece of candy. They feel hated. You won't give me candy? Ah, you must not love me. We know that's foolish. Far too often we as Christians approach God the same way. When we, when we get uh, corrected or disciplined or he says no, we feel unloved. Because we, we, we've been, our minds have been twisted to view that getting what we want means love. It's not true. Being told the truth, being built up, being encouraged as God's people, that, that's an act of love. And so he says, I love you, beloved children. Second, next thing I want us to see is that the father understands the tactics of the enemy. And he wants to protect his kids. That's what he wants to do. That's why he's saying, hey, I'm writing to you so that you're not, you, you know that I'm not ashamed of you. And I'm not trying to make you uh, feel shame. That's not my goal here. So he, he understands that the tactic of the enemy would be to, to do exactly what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. When sin entered the world, shame entered the world. It happened at the same time. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, immediately in the garden in Genesis 3, they were naked. They realized they were naked and they were ashamed. And so what did they do? They hid from God immediately when sin comes into our life, we, we hide in shame, in shame. So he understands he's exposing sin, and so he understands that the enemy's tactic is, gonna make, is to make them feel guilt, shame, and condemnation, and so he's, he's looking ahead as, as a father, as a leader, as, as one who cares for the, those who, 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 who have been entrusted to him, and he says, I, under, I know the tactic of the enemy. It's the same tactic since Genesis 3. He's still doing it now when, when, we, when we expose sin, we feel shame. So I don't want you to be ashamed. So he's, he, he understands the tactics of the enemy. He wants to protect his children. This is why later, uh, Paul will, will talk about in Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, if, if Jesus has saved you, if you're adopted into the family of God, you're part of, our, of, of, of the family, then there's no condemnation, even when you are aware of your sin. The condemnation only comes from the enemy. We're told in, in Revelation that, that, the, that the, the enemy is an accuser, and he accuses the saints night and day. He has a job, and it's to make you feel guilt and shame all day long. All day long, he wants you to feel such shame that you will punt on Jesus, punt on the gospel, punt on the Bible, punt on f- worshiping J- the one true and living God, and worship yourself in the, in the culture around you so that you just don't feel shame. When, when God is the one who takes away our shame, who covers our shame, who Jesus died in our place and, and bore all our shame on the cross, as the scriptures that prophesied, said, and it happened. Will you believe what is true? Will you believe that Jesus is taking your guilt, taking your shame, taking your your punishment to forgive your sins? Or will you believe the lie of the serpent that says no, you are condemned. You are you, Jesus can't help you. You got to change your theology. You got to change you, you got to edit the Bible. You got to start doing what the culture does because your peers and your friends are right. God is wrong. Whose voice will you listen to? Paul's like, we gotta listen. I'm coming like a father to you, so you so you can trust me. You can you can listen. I'm gonna point you to Jesus. Additionally, he says he uh, a father is honest. A father is honest. See, he, he a father says, "Hey, son, daughter, uh, you, you have sinned. You are wrong." Jesus does this with the woman of the well. She's caught in sin. Uh, she's caught in adultery. She has multiple husbands. The man she's living with's not her. She's she's likely uh, uh, wrapped up in in in, in a trap relationship. She she feels trapped. She's going to keep doing it. She she's feeling shame. No one in the city will come uh, visit her, or or, 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 or she doesn't want to be around anyone in the city because they're all gossiping about her. Jesus comes in. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm so sorry that everyone's talking about you. He he, you know, forget what they say. Don't listen to those people. Right? This this is the advice you would give, right? Don't listen to those people. You're just good enough. Who cares what people think? Be a better version of yourself. Do what makes you happy. You're strong, woman. Right? That's the that's the advice we give to one another when we feel shame. We affirm people in sin and shame and say, you know what? Just don't talk to those people. Who cares about those type of people? Jesus walks up as a good and, and models what a good father looks like, and he's honest with us. He hey, hey, no, no, you have sinned. Actually, you're, you're, you're lying to me now. You're guilty, and you're covering other sin. But here, here's what you don't understand is that uh, I, I can give you life. You're thirst, hungering and thirsting stuff that will not satisfy you. And Jesus is honest with her and tells the woman at the well that that he is the life, he is the water that she is truly searching for and that if if she would come to him that that he would that she could never truly or spiritually she would not thirst again. She believes. Then she goes back, she repents, and she goes and tells the whole everyone who who made fun of her, everyone who who was condemning her, everyone who was heaping shame upon her, she went as a free woman and preached the gospel to them brought, them, brought the people to Jesus and said, this man knows all my sins, knows everything, and he loves me, he saves me, he forgives me. This is awesome. She doesn't, that's when you don't care what people think. That's how you have power over guilt and shame. That's how you have power over what other people are saying. It's not through just your friends speaking some encouragement to you to speak to the inner sinner in you, to to not be ashamed and to continue in the path of sin in which you're currently living in. But no, but through faith and repentance in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes upon you. You care more about what God the Father thinks of you than anyone else, and that's enough. God loves you. He looks upon you, sees you in your fall, Sees you in your sin, sees you in your rebellion, sees you in the, the, the weird relationship you're in, sees you in the, the str- financial struggles you're in, sees you and says, I want that man, I want that woman, I want them to be in my family, and I will pay for them to be in my family with my life. I will go before them, I will be crucified, I will be executed, I will be murdered in their place for their sin. Though I have no sin, I will take all of their sin because I want them to be in my family. And Jesus doesn't just say that, he does that. And he was not just killed, but then he was made alive by God the Father, raised them from the dead because Jesus has paid your penalty, my penalty. He has forgiven our sin. He has taken our shame. That's the truth. That's the way to have freedom over the accusations of Satan. That's the the way to have freedom over the the shame and guilt you have in your own heart for the sin you've committed, the sin done against you. It's not in the the narrative of the culture. It's in the gospel of Jesus. There's no other hope. And Paul loves these people, and I love you so much, that, that that is what we need. We can't edit that. We must proclaim that. And therefore, a father's honest and saying, hey, no, 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 no. You, you are guilty. You, are, you have sinned, but, but let me remind you of what's true. If you're in Christ, there's no more condemnation. If you're in Christ, then Jesus really has set you free. If you're in Christ, then he really has uh, uh, paid for your sin. If you're in Christ, he is, because he has risen victorious, you are victorious. Because Jesus is who he says he is, you are forgiven. We're reminding those we lead that. This is what a father does. He's honest. He reminds them of what is true. And he he does that because he cares for his kids. He wants to protect them. Additionally, a father builds up. He doesn't beat up. So this is what he says. I I want to admonish you, which 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 means to warn or reprimand harshly. Even our current dictionary still has that is the definition. As much editing in the dictionary we have had in our culture, that's still the, the, the going definition of, of to admonish. And so what he is saying, he's saying, I'm going to admonish you as beloved, which means truly loved. I'm going to admonish you as truly loved, children. I'm going to rebuke you, but I, I want to warn you. I want to help you. I'm going to reprimand you firmly, but, it, but I, I, as, as a loving father. And he speaks to, he's spoken to Paul he, or himself, he speak, he's spoken to Apollos and Cephas and the other pastors and saying, hey, these, are, these spiritual fathers are, are, are here and we, we love you like children, like, like you're our children. And so what a, a father does is he's not seeking to beat them up, he's seeking to build them up. That's what he's seeking to do. He's not trying to discourage them, but he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to cause flourishing, nourishment, growth. Uh, he, he wants them to thrive. He wants them to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. He wants them to walk upright, not downcast. He wants them to have joy. He wants them to have peace. He wants to help the congregation. This is what the pastors, the elders, the, the spiritual leaders, but also the brothers and sisters in Christ should be doing for one another. We want to build one another up, bless one another, not beat each other, each other each other down, that's what he's doing. He wants to admonish them as deeply, truly loved children. And see, you can't, sh- I need you to see this, you cannot shame someone into producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's a tactic that may work in your job, where you can shame someone and they'll perform better. Fun fact, you can't perform And produce spiritual fruit. It's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot, I cannot, we cannot on our own produce spiritual fruit. It's something the Holy Spirit must do. We're told in John 15 that in order for that fruit to be produced, we must abide or remain in the vine. In the same passage in John 15, Jesus further says that the vine dresser is God the Father. Jesus is the vine. We, we, are to, we are a branch. We are to, as a branch, stay tethered to the vine, stay connected to Jesus. That's the goal. That is, all of, that is our only goal as Christians to stay connected to Jesus. If a, if a branch stays connected to the vine, what happens? It produces fruit. Ever looked at a tree and you're like, man, that branch does nothing all day. Sitting there, just sunbathing, getting squirrels to climb all over. What, what this, this guy does nothing. And he's fruitful in season and out of season. He can't make it rain. He, he, he can't give nerve. He does nothing. Yeah, that's the point. Our job is to fight to remain in the vine, in Jesus. That's the spiritual battle we have. And we stay connected to Jesus, we will produce fruit. But the Father is called a vine dresser in John fifteen, a vine dresser. One of the things a vine dresser does, as many of you know, he he prunes. But another thing a vine dresser does is he lifts up. And what, what I mean by this is sometimes a vine will will have branches that get stuck into that are healthy branches, but they get stuck into into the uh, the dirt. Because the, the way the tree is growing, it may be stuck in the dirt. It's a, it's a fruit-bearing it, fruit uh, branch of the tree, it, it, but it just needs to be lifted up out of the dirt. It needs to be lifted up so we can get proper sunlight, proper nourishment, so it can continue to grow as it was intended to. See, fathers build one another up. Spiritual fathering, uh, discipleship, what we do is we we build, we lift people up out of the dirt. Hey, you're in the dirt, you're in the muck, you're in the mire of your sin, you're, you're in the muck, in the mire of your shame, you, you, you're not believing what's true, you're not believing what's right, it's our job to help, we gotta help pick you up so that the, 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 the saving, empowering, transforming light of the gospel of Jesus can, can, can shine on you and that you can heal. So the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit. Far too often we want to either cut the, cut the branch off as if we're the vine dresser, which we're not. Or we want to uh, produce fake counterfeit fruit. We're going to fake it till we make it. Or we want to uh, uh, just, just perform for everyone so everyone thinks on the outside we're producing fruit. But inwardly, we're like the Pharisees. We're decaying and dying. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the spiritual leader. Uh, what part of the spiritual leadership Paul is saying here is, is part of the fatherly role is to build up, not beat up, but to lift up. To lift up. To admonish, to, to, yes, you're in the dirt, but I'm going to lift you up. So that in, and oftentimes what the vine dresser will do is then take a stick and, and place it in such a way that that branch stays lifted. Some of you are, are, are sticks that are just standing there helping your brothers and sisters stay lifted so that the Holy Spirit can do the work. Stop trying to be the Holy Spirit, but start lifting. You get no credit, and that's what bothers you, but the Holy Spirit does. It is work. Your hands may get tired, you may get exhausted, but God has called us to lift one another up so that the Father can produce the fruit. This is what's going on when Jesus was walking around, he was healing a bunch of people, and people got word out that he could transform lives. I pray that that word continues to get out, that Jesus still saves and transforms. But there was a paralyzed dude who couldn't do anything. He was helpless. He couldn't walk, couldn't heal himself, couldn't do anything. He had four friends who picked him up, took him to Jesus. Well, guess what? They couldn't get to Jesus. So what did they do? They lifted him up, put him on the roof, tore someone else's roof apart so they could lay him down at Jesus' feet. Jesus says this, it was the faith of the friends that made him well. It was the faith of the friends. It wasn't his. Some of you are lacking faith and you need the people of God to come around you, to lift you up, to put you into the presence of Jesus, to pray for you continually, to posture themselves, uh, to help you posture yourself under the mighty hand of God so that God can do what only he can do and produce the fruit that you need. And so some of you, I I guarantee I've been experienced the fruit of the Holy Spirit because, because of the prayers of people. It's like some of you are probably like, hey, I, I've tried to encourage Al in this way, and he just does not get it, but I started praying, and the Holy Spirit did something. It happens. He's much better than we are. So you don't get the credit. I don't get the credit. No one ever gets the credit, but, but, but God does. We play a part through prayer, through posturing ourselves, through, through hoping, having faith on behalf of others. Next, uh, we see here that a, that a father sees what is wrong, but he's helping his children get to where they need to be. That's what he's doing. This is maturing them. This is discipleship. He says that they have had many guides, but no fathers. He's saying that they've read a, they, they, have, they have many people who are guiding them. And especially in our day, if you think about it, we have a bunch of Christian books. A bunch of books. A bunch of books. Many guides. But hardwired into us is this need to have godly men and women walk alongside us. We need one another to help us on this journey. It is a good father's job to go ahead and look up and a good leader's job to look up and say, hey, here's what's coming. Let me lead my family. Let me lead the, the church. Let me, let me lead those people I'm discipling. Let me lead. I can see what's coming. Let me lead. So i got to get up. i got to see. i got to see what's ahead. There's many people who will give you the guide work, but no one will, someone's got to come up and look at where, what's up and coming. Where are the obstacles? How do we lead you, you through this? embedded in the mission that Jesus gave in the Great Commission, that, that, that it implies a type of spiritual fathering. Decide, when Jesus says to teach one another to observe all that Christ commanded, he, he's implying that there's this spiritual multiplication that keeps going on where, this, where, where, where there's, yes, there's peer-to-peer relationships, but there's also father-to-son, mother-to-daughter type relationships, spiritually speaking, teaching one another to observe what Christ has commanded. And one of the ways in which we, we learn to obey uh, what Christ has commanded is through imitation, imitating. So that's his next point, imitating God as Father. This, is in, this, is the, this should be the aim of all parents. And this should be the aim of all disciple makers, is that God the Father's love would flow to you. So you would experience the love of God as Father, but it would flow to you, through you, to others. And so here's what he says. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. He says, all right, imitate me. That's why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of the ways in Christ, of my ways in Christ, as I teach them in in every church. So there's this urgent call he's given to the church to imitate him. To, to, to imitate him, to his urgent call to imitate those who follow Jesus, that's his big point. So he's even sending Timothy, so there's this, there's this urgency, and I see it in our day and age more than ever, and it, it, as I've, uh, uh, you know, take a survey of the land, as I see where we're at in our current context and culture, there's an urgent call for us to imitate those who imitate Christ. We imitate so many people on social media, on on what we find who are are influencers. We are are so easily influenced to imitate. There's this greater urgency that I see more than ever is to imitate not those, but those who, who imitate Jesus Christ. Elsewhere, Paul will use that term. He'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. He sends Timothy, uh, his beloved child, who's like a child in the faith, a spiritual child just like they are, to remind them of his ways in Christ as I teach them in every church. He wants us to be examples of Jesus. We need to understand this. Paul took this right out of Jesus' playbook. Jesus tells his disciples, what does he say? Follow me. Paul's telling them, follow me. Additionally, Jesus, guess who he imitates? God the Father. He imitates the Father. So you're going to imitate Christ. What you're, in, you're going to be doing is imitating the love of God the Father expressed through Christ the Son. Jesus says this, I don't do anything, I'm on accord. I only do what I see the Father doing. Dude, Jesus doesn't even make up his own stuff. Like he's a, he full on copies the Father. And man, just, I just let that sink in for a moment. God is our Father, loves us so much. We are to imitate God as Father, just as Christ did. And the way we do that is looking at the life of Jesus. If you want to know how the Father acts, you got to look at Jesus. If you want to know how the Father loves you, look at Jesus. If you want to know anything about the Father, look at Jesus. He's the lens by how we understand God as Father. But imitating is not a new thing, it's actually the way humans learn. We all, 100% of us, Learn to speak through imitation, through parody. Literally, say this sound and the kid says it. What does a cow say? Like, you don't know what moo until someone tells you moo. Or you you listen to the cow and you're trying to imitate the cow on your own. But we don't learn even how to speak except for through imitation. It's literally parroting. That's what we do. And additionally, there's a whole phase of human development uh, as young kids where we must go through the parroting phase if we're going to learn, uh, to learn how to think, learn how to operate, and learn anything. It's, it's, it's just hardwired in the makeup of humans. And therefore, as, as new creations, as new children, you may be an adult, but you come to faith in Jesus, you're an infant in Christ, you got to do some imitating, got to do some parroting. Got to do some copycat stuff. You're like, well, that's weird. I don't want to copy them. Well, you're already doing it anyway. You pro- Why do you wear what you wear? Someone you saw wore that. You're like, no, I, I, I'm doing it because I, I wear these clothes so, because I don't want to be like anyone. Yeah, someone did that first too. Like, every, like we, we, everything is, nothing is new. We're all imitating something. Question is, are you doing it on purpose? Are you passively being formed? We're to imitate, he says, imitate me on purpose. He said, he's he's saying, y'all are imitating the culture, y'all are imitating uh, everything that's going on in Corinth, the Greco-Roman Empire, y'all look like a bunch of Romans, y'all have been called by Jesus to become children and citizens of God, y'all don't have any examples, you have some people guiding you, but not very well, because y'all are still getting drunk at communion, so follow me as I follow Christ. Hey, when I take communion, do it the way I do it. I take a drink, I don't keep drinking the wine." That's one of the ways he wants them to imitate. When I, uh, you know, have relationships with people, I'm not hooking up with everyone. That's what they're doing. He's like imitate me, as I imitate Christ. Additionally, we we see this being played out, and it's hardwired into to children. Uh, when you look at who they, children will imitate who they esteem. Like, so whether it's their father uh, or, or their mother or, or their, their uncle or someone they know or maybe a sports figure, like, I remember when I was playing basketball, I, I modeled my uh, free throw routine off of Michael Jordan's. He was the best in the world. Why would I model it off of that guy who's the second best? No way. I want to model it off of the best. So I want to shoot free throws like Michael Jordan does. Then I realized that it was, uh, you know, I, I wasn't Michael Jordan took me a little while. I realized that. I finally got his hair, though. You know, I I, I didn't as a child, but, you know, uh, maybe I'm more like him than I've ever been. But while I was doing that, I realized, okay, I learned how to shoot free throws through a routine of imitating Michael Jordan. Eventually, I made my own free throw routine. And when someone asked me to teach them to do free throws, I taught my free throw routine. But I did it first through imitation I just, we have to see this, if you're, if you're not convinced of it, uh, let me give you a couple more examples through the scriptures that, that, that I find quite wild, um, and uh, I found interesting uh, this week, that, that even John the Baptist, he imitated Elijah. How so? You know, oh, the spirit of Elijah, the, the preaching. Yes, he did. Exactly, very much so. He imitated Elijah in his preaching, and his calling to, for sure scriptures are clear about that you know what the scriptures are also clear about he imitated elijah in his clothes like weird facts but that's true it, you know john the baptist wasn't the first to have the camel hair and the, the the belt and being being weird in the wild he read about it while he's studying the scriptures in the wilderness he's like oh there's another guy elijah i'm gonna wear him. i'm gonna dress like him it's a weird fact Weird thing to see in the scriptures. The point I'm making is that, that even in the scriptures, we see this idea of, of imitating, not just being told to imitate spiritual leaders in the way they, they pray, the way they, they, they read their Bible, the way they study, the way, who can I learn from and apply spiritual principles? But we see even innately in, in men like John the Baptist, who Jesus says was the greatest man who ever lived outside of Jesus. It, it was John the Baptist. He himself t- took his clothing cues from another prophet. It's not sin, sinful to choose another guy to have model your clothes after. It's just the point I'm, I'm making is that we are hardwired deep inside of every one of us to, to imitate, to, to follow, to learn from. And so what Paul is not saying here is that I know everything. He's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate my faith. Imitate my life. He says, verse 17, that is why I sent Timothy a beloved child in the Lord to remind you of the ways of Christ. This is like, literally verse 17 is the great commission. He sent Timothy to do what? Teach them to observe what Christ has commanded. That's what he's doing. And he's, and, he's, and he's expressing it through imitation. So who is it? Who do you admire? There, is there a Christian leader you're looking at, going, "Man, I would like to be like him," or "I would like to be like her"? Or, There's someone in the church, like, "I want to I be like them when I grow up. Uh, I want to have that type of faith." Well, get around them. Like, well, I, I don't want to feel like I'm copying them. Well, don't feel so shame. So much shame here. You might first read your Bible the way someone else taught you to read your Bible. You might study in a particular way. You might memorize scripture in a particular way. You might pray. Literally, I, we teach my kids every night. Like our my youngest, who's two, has started to parrot what the other kids pray. And so he steals all of his prayer requests, and he has his entire life. And then all of a sudden, recently, he started adding his own. And you're like, What? parroting, how to pray. So some of you may not know how to pray. Well, well can, there, can, can someone walk alongside you and say, hey, pray these things. and Do that for maybe a year, maybe two years, or maybe a month. And then all of a sudden you start having your own prayer life. Don't be so afraid of imitation. Actually, I urge you to do so, just as Paul does. And so he's urging them to not just be copycats, but, but to be Christ-like. That's his goal. He wants them to, to, to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to follow Jesus. So that's the aim of, of leaders. That's the aim of aspiring leaders. That should be the aim of fathers, mothers, and, and all Christians is we should be to the type of men and women who imitate Jesus, imitate God as Father, and let that flow out from us to how we teach, love, serve others, so that they may love God as Father, may, they may experience God as Father, and they may uh, receive His love and then extend His love to those whom they encounter. And so, this is crucial for us as parents. It's crucial for us as leaders that we experience the love of God the Father ourselves. Far too often, we we, we know how to, in our day and age, to to recruit tools to teach others to do something without ever fully loving, knowing, believing ourselves. We're so quick to want to teach. We're so quick to want to apply. We're so quick to want to be a spiritual father, spiritual mother, without ever being a spiritual child, being in submission, learning, growing. It's it's, it's important for us to experience, know, love, abide, trust in God's love as a father for us individually, To, to glory in the fact that God is a father. To experience his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his kindness. As it leads us to repentance, do the same then to those we lead. Whether we're a parent or whether we are a uh, a disciple maker. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a disciple maker. So that's all of us. The last thing he says here in the text is that, the last point is the father's discipline. That's what he looks at. He says this, verse 18, some are arrogant. All right? You're like looking around and the congregation as they're reading this, like, who's, who's, I know who he's talking about. Who's he talking about? Some are arrogant, as though I'm not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come with a rod? Or shall I come in love, in a spirit of gentleness? Hey, you pick some church members apparently in Corinth, they've they made it their thing. And imagine this, they made it their thing uh, to, to just talk about Paul in such a way where they think, hey man, Paul's hiding behind his letters. He doesn't have the 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 boldness to say they, they've they taken the approach of, hey, say it to my face. You ever met the kid who's like no who talks back to the teacher? Like, hey, say don't, say that to my face. Or maybe that's you, and you're like, you know, someone's talking to you online, but you won't say it to my face. Like that's the arrogant, dumb, stupid. You know, immature posture that's going on in Corinth. And you're like, man, well, I, I, I've been there that way. Like, yeah, we've all been immature. Praise God, we can mature. But that's them. They, they're like, Paul, say it to my face. Bet you won't come. I bet you won't come say it to my face. Like that's what he's doing. You bet you won't come to Corinth. Oh, you're gonna write these letters. And so Paul's response to them, he write, he does write a letter, and he he calls them arrogant. Um, but then he he they, they they talk a good game. He says, but man, he's like, y'all are acting like the way of the world. He said, the kingdom is not talk. The, the kingdom is power. Holy Spirit empowered ministry. So he's saying, All right, you've read a bunch of books. You think you know a lot. You've talked to everyone in the congregation. Cool, you're a leader. People like you. You you can tell everyone a lot of things. You've led a lot of Bible studies. You have a lot of information. Where's your fruit? Where's your fruit? Where have you reproduced? Who's loving Jesus more because of your work? What other Bible studies have been reproduced because of your leadership, because of your, your, your discipleship, your spiritual fathering? Where are, where's the reproduction? Where are people's lives changed? Where, where is the culture being transformed? Where are people being equipped to go into the certain spheres and culture and push back darkness, herald the kingdom? Where's the boldness? Where's the power? Where, we're just looking around and I see a bunch of cowards, he's saying. Where is the power? He says, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to look around and I'm not going to get involved in your talk. I'm going to look at the fruit. Because if you're abiding in Christ, you'll produce much fruit. And if you are abiding in Christ and helping others abide in Christ, they will produce much fruit. And I may come to you and see, and you may come to and, but if, you, if you're arrogant, you will think that you you'll want to show me all the fruit. If you're humble, I'll come and you'll say, man, I'm trying to, to, to abide and I'm struggling, Paul, but I can't do it. I, I'm sinning and i can I'm struggling. Or like, hey, I'm leading this Bible, so I'm leading these, these discipleship groups. I'm helping other, others in this, this area, and, and I'm trying to help them abide and remain in Christ. But, but it's really hard, because every time I work, Satan like, you know, undoes everything I've done, and, and, and it just creates a, a posture of humility. So when Paul comes, they're like, hey, uh, the humble person will say, you know what? I, I need help. Can you teach me? Can you show me? I want to imitate you. Can I watch you do a Bible study? Can I watch you prepare a sermon? Can I watch you do these? I want to imitate you. How can I learn? Some look for those people, because they'll be the fruitful ones. They'll be the ones who carry the torch of ministry long term. But the arrogant, they're just going to be all talk. Guess who else is all talk? The culture. The world. People can be, sound really bold on Twitter. They can post some really cool Instagrams. They can, they can you know, be really great teachers. I'm not knocking those outlets. What I'm saying is the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but power, spirit-empowered ministry. And so I need you to see this, that it is arrogance or pride, it's the same thing, uh, that keeps Christians from growth and power. Why? Because we don't like to feel insecure. We don't like to feel dependent. We don't like to feel like a child, especially men. Men don't want to, like, we, we would rather not come to church than, than, than people to know that we know nothing about the Bible. That's just how typically guys are. If you ever, this is why we put Bible verses on screens. If you ever been to the church where they like, turn to the Bible, turn your Bible to this, this chapter, and everyone does it, and you're like, I don't know where that chapter is. I'm just not going to ever come back, because they may. That's a real thing. I need you to understand this. It's a real thing. But it, it, but it's, it comes from a place of arrogance, of pride. I don't want to feel like I don't know everything. I don't want to feel like I, I I I can't be the 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 person in the room who who can give answers to everything. I need to be able. I need people to, to see I'm useful. I need people to see that I'm, I'm 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 helpful. I need I need to be wanted. I need to be needed. So we're arrogant. We're proud. I need you to see that key, that stunts your spiritual growth and it empties you of power. Because how are you going to imitate Paul? How are you going to imitate those who've gone before you? How are you going to find someone who's a little bit further along spiritually than you and then imitate, follow them? How are you going to do that if you're not humble? If you're proud, you won't do that. If you're proud, you won't admit you're wrong. If you're proud, you won't admit you need help. If you're proud, you won't say, can, can you come alongside me and help me? If you're proud, you'll just find excuses to, oh, that person's too busy, can't talk to them. The pastors, they have a lot of work. We can't go to them. I'm not saying every time you say that, that's what you mean. So I know don't don't hear me, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is if there's a place of pride where you don't want help and you use the excuse that everyone else is too busy, therefore that's why I didn't ask for help because everyone's so busy, check your heart. That might be coming from a place of pride where you really just don't want people to know you need help. You don't you just don't want people to know that you need help to be walked with, that you don't want people to know, you don't want to feel the vulnerability of saying, I just don't know everything. I just don't know everything. This is like every guy who breaks down on the side of the road, doesn't have the right tools to, you know, put, to fix his tire. He's going to, figure he's not going to call anybody. He's going to try to figure it out. I pray that you men know how to fix tires, a flat tire. If you don't, Come to me or someone else, we will, we will help you. The point is, far too often, men are, are afraid of, of ex- being exposed as not knowing something. Ladies, you are the same. And so don't let pride or arrogance keep you from growing and, and keep you from being empowered. See, a branch can't do nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You must remain tethered to the vine. You must be, remain connected to the vine. And therefore, you'll produce fruit. So we must give the Lord Jesus our insecurities. We must give him our, 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 our pride. We must recant our sin of pride and arrogance and come humbly. He says it this way, that the Father's discipline, he, said, he, he speaks of the Father's discipline. And we see it in two ways. Sometimes it's with a rod, which is a, 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 a you know spanking, if you will we don't believe in those. Well, God does. Uh, Number two, sometimes it's gentleness. What we see in Proverbs 13, 24, what he is not saying, Paul, is not saying that gentleness is God's way, rod is not God's way, because in, in, in Proverbs 13, 24, he says this, whoever spares the rod hates his son, and whoever loves him diligently disciplines him. So God disciplines his children. Paul is is loving the the, the congregation like God the Father loves him and he's going to discipline them. He's disciplining him. He says sometimes it's with a rod, sometimes it's harsh, sometimes it's with gentleness. Sometimes it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Sometimes God steps in and he disciplines sharply and harshly and sometimes that happens. We see this throughout the Old Testament that, that there's discipline from the Lord. Adam and Eve, while they experienced grace from God, and though they sinned, they did not die. They did receive covering for their shame and the shedding of the, of the blood of the innocent animal, being covered in, in, in the clothes of the, of the lamb. And they, they were, which is a picture of Jesus in the gospel for you. And that was grace towards them, but they were kicked out of the garden. They were disciplined. And their son inherited their sin nature, Cain, and he murders his brother Able. That sin that they committed had consequences that continued. And so they had to bury their son, have a funeral, heartbroken. It's part of the, the, the effects of sin. Yet there's much mercy and grace and gentleness from God. We must see this. We must see this. So we'll end with this. We'll end with this. Hebrews 12, 5 through 13. I'm just going to read it. Speaking of the discipline of God the Father, he says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. I just need you to see this. God loves you if you're his child. Far too often you, you believed the lies of the enemy that say that the discipline From God is evil and vile, and God doesn't love you, God is not for you, and you're afraid of God. I need you to see, He loves you. He chastises every son He receives, for it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there in whom His Father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, hear this if you're left without discipline, in which all have participated in, so you've experienced, then you are illegitimate children and not sons or daughters of God. Dis- God's discipline implies that we are sons. He doesn't discipline those who are not his. Besides this, he says, that we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and, and we respected them. Fathers, we're to discipline our children in a way that reflects God the Father. Shall we not much more be subject to the, the Father of the spirit who and, and, and the father of uh, sorry, I'm, uh, the, be subjected to Father, the father of spirits, and live, for they disciplined us for a short time, and it seemed best to them. but the discipline that, that the dis, but he disciplines us for our good, that we what's the point of discipline? See this, that we may share in His holiness. The discipline of God isn't, and you just to see that it's not just simply the punishment. It's what he wants to produce. The punishment exists so that you experience the fruit. Maybe it's lifting up. Maybe it's pruning. But he wants you to produce fruit to live like Jesus. The goal of discipline isn't the punishment. Some of you think that. Oftentimes you are spared of a harsher punishment when you do the holiness part. Willfully, for the moment, for in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those hear this those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping heads. And strengthen your weak knees and make straight path for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. It's the same concept of, being, uh, of the, the branch being lifted up so it can receive healing. We, we, we endure and we, we, we are trained and disciplined for the, for the fruit of righteousness. So there's two types of disciplines we must see here. There's di- the discipline of discipleship. And there's the discipline of correction. Discipline of discipleship is you're seeking to follow Jesus. You're seeking to fight your sin. You're seeking to live on mission with Jesus. You're doing it in the context of the church, your peers, your your mentors, your spiritual fathers. The the you're you're your initiating uh, imitating Christ. You're going to men and women in the church and going, Hey, how can I follow you? How can I learn from you? How can I grow? Can you teach me? You're you're being humble. You're not being arrogant. You're you're not going to be full of pride, but you're laying that aside so that you can learn, ask questions, uh, uh, obey, learn and grow and follow following Jesus, that's called discipleship. That's, that's a, that takes discipline, though. It takes discipline to say to repent of sin. It takes discipline to confess arrogance. It takes discipline to follow Jesus. It takes discipline to fight your sin. It takes discipline to continue on a mission. It takes discipline to, to get God's people around you to speak into your life so that you can grow in holiness. That's called discipleship, but it is a form of discipline. And when we forsake that, see hear me this. When you forsake that is when God steps in and d- disciplines you personally. So so far too often we're so afraid of God's discipline because we're like, "Oh no, I sinned. Now God's going to come smite me." That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's a type of discipline and correction for the people of God who have forsaken discipleship walking with Jesus. When you walk away from Jesus, when you're running away from Jesus, not obeying Jesus, not repenting of sin, you're you're complaining, you're 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 just doing whatever you want, you're not doing what was just described as a disciple when you're not doing those things and you're off on your own god sees to it because he loves you so much as a legitimate child to come after you and then correct you and discipline you and it might look like the prodigal son where you finally run out of stuff you run out of money you run out of time you run out of resources you're eating you you, you know stuff that is forbidden you're looking around going my life is a mess i've hit rock bottom Okay, God, you got my attention. So there's that type of discipline of correction. But the discipline that we are to be trained in is the discipline of discipleship that Jesus laid out. So if you are or someone here who, who just, as you struggle to trust God as Father, you, tr- you struggle to trust God as good, it, you just first confess that today to God, like, I struggle to trust you as good. But then also I want you to see that if you are seeking to obey Him, you're seeking to be discipled by Him. You're 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 putting some effort. It may not be perfect, but you you are you have mustard seed type faith and effort. The Lord blesses that. He sees that. He sees that in you as a child. He's not looking to scold you. He's not looking to break you. He's not looking to take the bruised reed and continue to break it. He's not looking at the, the smoldering flax that's going out, the, the candle that's burning. He's not looking to, to, to smite it and to put it out, but he's looking to fan it in the flame. That's what God the Father is looking to do. Far too often you're like, I sinned. Oh, well, hope I don't get in the car wreck today because, you know, like, I lied. So God's got to come after me. How many people feel that way? So many Christians. That's how they view God. I've sinned, so God's got to jump in and correct me. The fact that you've sinned and you realized it is already work of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Confess it. Run to him. It's like a child who's aware. Like my children who confess, I see what they did. One of my children loves to eat books. You can figure out who that is. He now eats the paper out of books. Um. He heard that, you know, the word of God was our spiritual food and started eating books. It's like, it's crazy. He's spiritual. Uh, so he's eating books, and you see the, the wet, you know, markings on the book. And you come in, and I tell him, hey, you will get a spanking if you lie. Did you eat the book? Yes, sir. D- does he get a spanking? No, he didn't lie. I would need you to see this. I'm a really, compared to God, a really bad father. <laughs> really bad And so I need you to see, when we, uh, God is a father who loves his kids. He's not looking for reasons and ways to smite, to hurt, to harm, to, to, to use the rod. He wants to come to you with gentleness. But when we become arrogant, when we become full of pride, when we don't submit ourselves to spiritual discipline, when we don't put ourselves under spiritual authority, when we become our own gods and we continue in rebellion against him, he then has to show up and say, hey son, hey daughter, I've told you a bunch of times, you continue to willfully walk away. You're not repenting. I must now come with a little bit more harshness. So I hope there's freedom for those in here today that are, you're trying to follow Jesus. You're trying to obey him. You're confessing your sin. You're walking in the light. I encourage you to keep doing that, and don't believe the lie that God's looking around the corner trying to smite you. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, and and bear the fruit of righteousness, like the scripture says, for those who are trained in it. And for you who are in rebellion, God is after you. He's after you. So some of you today, God is, you, you are in rebellion, or you're in spiritual drought, and you have been worshiping Jesus with your whole heart, and you've just become really apathetic, you've become really lazy, you've become really unmotivated, undisciplined, like you've just forsaken all training when it comes to righteousness, and God's got your attention today. I need you to see that his invitation to you is to repent. Come to him for healing. Be lifted up and receive his forgiveness. See that you are a legitimate son or daughter of God. Run to your father. Experience his forgiveness, his love, and resolve this week to, to no longer walk in apathy. Resolve to no longer walk in rebellion, but walk in the instruction, the discipline of the Lord. Some of you today may need to receive the love of God the Father. You're like, man, this I struggle to even approach God as Father. Maybe that's the way you respond today. So we're going to respond if you need to respond uh, and receive the love of God the Father become a Christian, we invite you to do that. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Some of you may need to just reflect on the reality that God is a Father and loves you and examine the cross of Christ and see the length to which that God the Father went to save you and marvel at that. Some of you may need today to respond today to make effort to imitate God as Father in the way you love your spouse, your kids, and those who you lead and who you disciple. Some of you may need to repent of your arrogance. And I invite you to do that. Some of you may be full of pride. I ask that you in 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 give up your pride. Invest in the kingdom. Invest in Jesus and your relationship with him. Find those you need to to find to, to walk alongside you, to help lift you up, to build you. Be honest. Don't be, and be transparent. Ask for help where you need it. Receive forgiveness. If, if, if that's you today who you're, who you're like, man, I'm I just am very aware that I'm rebelling and I just need God your forgiveness. Run to Jesus today. I don't know where the Lord is working in your heart. So in the many ways in which he is working and leading you today, I just invite you to respond in faith. Faith in Jesus and obedience to what he is, his spirit is saying to you. Do it obey, and the Spirit of God will bless you in your obedience to that end. And to help us do that, we're going to take communion. So Pastor Alex is going to come up here, the band's going to come up here, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond to the taking of communion. Then we'll be singing, and then we'll be dismissed later. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you that you've revealed to us God as Father. We confess that we are oftentimes too proud and too arrogant to um, confess our sin, to seek help, to invest in others. Uh, we wanna be consumers, not cultivators and blessers, but Lord, may we, may we learn from you today. May we learn from God, our Father, and may we also now imitate God as Father in our, in our spheres that you've placed us, whether in our relationships, uh, in our home, or at work, or in the church. May we, May the love of God the Father overflow through us to all those we encounter. And so what we ask now is as we respond and as we take communion, may we reflect on your love, oh God, our Father. May we see the link that Jesus went to save us. May we marvel at the more, there's more mercy and grace in Jesus than sin in us. If you can take care of our sin problem, you can take care of all of our problems. So we run to you as a Father, trusting you. Would you comfort us? Would you keep us? Would you uphold us? Would you bless us? Would you lift us as we remember your brokenness? Broken body and your shed blood. I ask this in Christ's name.